Iceland is hot. Its volcanoes and hot springs, otherworldly landscapes and glaciers, and views of the northern lights have helped propel it onto the must-see travel list of many an outdoors lover. And while their weather can turn brutal, it only seems to fuel the Icelanders' creative juices. They've developed quite a reputation for singers and musicians in rock, alternative, experimental, and avant-garde music at a level that punches well above what you'd expect from such a small population. Music empresario Kevin Cole goes to Iceland each year to check out what's new at its music festivals. He often features what he finds on the radio show he hosts on KEXP, an alternative music station in Seattle. He joins us now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us why Iceland has become one of his favorite places in the world. Kevin, welcome. Rick, thank you so much. It's so great to be here. What a cool thing. For 10 years, you've gone to Iceland in November for this music festival, and at the same time, you've had a chance to uh, gain a, a real affinity for the country itself. Yeah, Iceland is an amazing place to explore. I've been there pretty much all seasons and, uh, you know, love going there for the music experience, but also go there for vacations as well. But now, Iceland is, I've been there too, and uh, it's very trendy. People love it, yep. but really, it's pretty barren. It gets dark early. It's kind of nasty in the winter. It's got 300,000 people. It's, it's a tiny little country, stranded in the Atlantic, uh, halfway between, you know, Norway and Greenland. What do you think is the magic? Why do people go more to Iceland than to Norway? Well, I think there's sort of an allure to Iceland that's part of it. But if it wasn't an awesome experience, it wouldn't be able to sustain that kind of allure, right? Right. The landscape is so dramatic. You hear it being described as otherworldly, which it truly is. You know, there's tons of movies that are filmed there, like Prometheus, that needs some exotic-looking Mars. That is a big thing, because when I was out touring way out into the volcanic sticks, you know, and you could see, if you were a movie producer, yeah, this is where I want to film that exotic scene. Yeah, and you can experience that, and it's still very pristine. Even as tourism has built up over the last decade, it's still off the beaten path, and you're going to have a really remarkable, authentic You know, experience. a fascinating thing from a historical point of view is, of course, there were a few little tiny towns, but until World War II, there wasn't really a lot of serious development and building there. And in World War II, it became suddenly important strategically because it's a great base for your Air Force. And uh, after World War II, you had a lot of uh, building that beforehand it was mostly humble, sod buildings and little little tiny huts. Yeah, it was so isolated pre-World War II, and uh, actually the bases there transformed the culture and the music culture because it was then that Americans brought rock and roll music over to Iceland. Okay. And, uh, and that, that mixed with uh, some local passion for music and totally, kindled something it, cool. It totally did. That sparked a youth culture in Iceland. Well, if you're going to Iceland, of course, you got to go to Reykjavik. What are some highlights for you outside of Reykjavik? Because you're going to see the capital city. You're going to see the Blue Lagoon, that, that huge uh, spa out by the airport. What else would you do? The touristy things in Iceland, that sometimes turns off some travelers and they try and avoid what might be the touristy hotspots. In Iceland, it's very unspoiled. Go to the Blue Lagoon. <laughs> go, go, go do the Golden Circle, which is a day trip out of Reykjavik that takes you basically to three sort of main stops. One is Golfoss, this incredible giant waterfall. It's like a mini Grand Canyon. And part of what's cool about Iceland is you do have these mountains, but a lot of the land is sort of flat lava fields. So the first time I went and, and went to Golfoss, part of the what made it such a remarkable experience is Driving up, there were no billboards. There were no signs. I didn't even know if I was going to the right place. I saw a parking lot, 
And it wasn't until I got to the parking lot and went over a little hill that suddenly this huge canyon opened up and this incredibly powerful waterfall. So there's really a pristine quality. If you wanted to make a calendar just with great waterfalls for the oh. photographs, you could do it just in Iceland alone. Yeah, everywhere you go, there's a huge, there's a huge waterfall. Every time you turn a corner. <laughs> and there's something about the light, the angle of the sun in Iceland, especially in the summer, is it's a prolonged magic hour. You, so, you feel yeah. suspended in that. So it's great for taking photographs. A lot of people are interested in seeing the northern lights. Yes. And I see posters of this, and it goes, wow. But in practice, do you actually see that? Wow, that green sky from the Northern Lights. Uh, I'm still hoping to. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would be, I'm a little skeptical on promotional kind of a wow photographs because it's going to sh- paint something in its finest light. But I, I think that, that is an attraction. Not, not, not the wow. But You've seen a little bit of the green? Oh, for sure. Oh, um, that's good. Multiple times. And uh, one trip, uh, there's the Imagine Peace Tower on an island, uh, uh-huh. you know, in the uh, Foxa Bay of, of uh-huh. Reykjavik. So when you're in Reykjavik looking out, you see this amazing uh, light tower that it's a memorial to John Lennon that Yoko Ono constructed. And um, I got to go to the island. Uh, they lighted on John Lennon's birthday, which is October 9th. They turn it off on December 8th, the day he was shot. So for about six weeks, every night, it's out there. You can see it everywhere. Oh, from, my goodness. From, it, it's super powerful. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're exploring Iceland with Kevin Cole from Seattle's KEXP Radio. Kevin is an annual visitor to Iceland, and he's been enamored with the explosive contemporary music scene there. You can stream Kevin's radio show in the afternoons from 2 to 6 Pacific time at kexp.org. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Chris is calling in from El Cajon in California. Hi, Chris. Thanks for your call. I'm glad to be on. We're planning an upcoming trip to Iceland, and I wanted to know... If we could go there in May or June or September, October, the shoulder seasons, or whether that would be a bad idea because of uh, likelihood of bad weather. Chris, uh, you'd be good going in May, June, and uh, September, October. You're going to run into a mix of weather. What I recommend to travelers to Iceland is no matter what time of year you go, bring winter wear and bring a swimsuit. <laughs> that is such a good line. Bring a, a heavy coat and a swimsuit. Yeah, any time of year. Uh, I've been in a geothermal pool in July and had sleet come down, but you're going to be good those months. I've had the same skepticism about going off-season, and one thing you want to remember is it is so trendy that in July and August it's going to be just packed, and you're going to pay a lot, and you're going to have a hard time getting rooms and so on. And uh, I've thought, well, do you really want to go shoulder season in Iceland? And I've talked to so many people and say, yeah, just dress appropriately, but it can be great uh, without the peak season weather. Yeah. Now, one of the things we want to do is drive around the island. We're not going to be spending most of our time in the capital. Is it likely that you have some sunshine or at least a cessation of rain during part of the days, even in the shoulder seasons? Absolutely. I've found that it doesn't rain that that much. During those shoulder seasons, you're going to have a good eight hours of light. Remember, the weather blows through. You can have five different weathers a day. Exactly. So if you look out your window in the morning from your, your little bed and breakfast and go, oh, it's rainy, let's stay in, that's not the right approach. you got to get out there and do it. And remember, two hours later, you're going to go, wow, it's gorgeous. And that rain just freshened everything up. Yep. And then after lunch, it'll sock in again. And then late in the afternoon, ah, it's beautiful. They always say there's no um, bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. Exactly. Bring a good shell. 
That sounds very encouraging. Um, the other question I have is, being that we're going to do a driving trip around the island, we're going to have to spend several nights in different villages and towns around the island. And I'm wondering if it's better to use the travel agency in Reykjavik to make all those bookings, or is it better just to try to do it on your own? And I, what would you recommend as far as trying to book hotels or B&Bs on your own and a rental car versus using a travel agency in Reykjavik? The way I've done it in the past is mostly online myself, where you get a good opportunity to look at uh, the various different... uh, Yeah, there's lots of online services, and I would stress that Iceland is just jamming right now, and everybody is building cottages out back, and they're almost automated in the countryside. It's so sparsely populated. You make a reservation, and you come in, and and there's a little note for you, and there's the key, and and, and here's some coffee pot, and uh, you're on your own. Yeah, and it's almost like the Airbnb world has become its own cottage industry in Iceland, and and there's a lot of great Airbnbs. But you do want to get that in advance, because uh, don't underestimate the fact that we're all doing the same thing when we go to Iceland. I would also remind you, Chris, that much as you can enjoy the longer hours during the summertime and drive until 9 or 10 o'clock at night and be just fine, in the off-season, take a hard look at when does it get dark because you don't want to be out driving in the middle of nowhere in Iceland after dark. Now, what time does it get dark in May, for example? Yeah, it's going to be pretty light, right? Because that's only a month out from the right. solstice. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be really light, actually, in, in May. That'll be great. Sounds great. Have a good time, Chris. Oh, thank you very much. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Kevin Cole, the DJ at Seattle's KEXP, about Iceland. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. John's calling from Arlington in Texas. John, are you heading off to Iceland? I am, Rick, and thanks for taking my call. I'm going to be in Iceland in September, and my wife and I are looking forward to it. The thing that we always try to do when we go to a new place like this is try to understand the food and, and the kind of meals that we need to try to have when we're in a particular country because we always enjoy trying new things. So I was kind of wondering, what are the kind of foods and tastes that we should look for when we're there? I enjoyed reading uh, from Kevin that uh, he found Iceland was kind of a meat and potatoes place until recently, and now, like the music, it's becoming a little a little more uh, creative and fun and, and uh, spicy. Yeah, it seems like after the uh, the banking crisis of 2008, Iceland has really focused internally, a lot of entrepreneurship and a lot of creativity being expressed in things like the restaurants. In, in Reykjavik itself, there's so many restaurants, you will have no problem finding all sorts of, of different types of food. Obviously, being, you know, an isolated island, there's going to be a ton of seafood and great seafood. There's a Michelin star restaurant called Dill that's amazing. Adjacent to that is a really incredible pizza but you're, place. But you're living on a DJ's budget, so you're that's easy for you. What about the <laughs> no, rest no, of us? No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Iceland's pretty expensive, isn't it? It, it is expensive. So... Before my first trip in 2005, I was reading a guidebook that said, the food's horrible, uh, the weather's awful, and uh, you're going to love it. <laughs> and, and it was all three of those things. But the food is actually really great now. You, you can find great neighborhood bakeries where you can pick up yeah. local bread, rye bread. Um, oh, I, when I was in Reykjavik, the tourist board wanted me to go out and check out these restaurants. And they were very small, creative, full of life, full of local people. Expensive. You yeah. want to order carefully. Yep. You know, plan to spend a little extra on the food, a picnic one night, and you go to a restaurant the next night, perhaps. Exactly. Okay. Are there any particular times that people normally dine or eat out, eat their evening meals? We just always like to know what time is the best time to go out. Or any cultural insights, yeah, that might yes. be different. 
Yeah, it's it's not a super late night dining type of atmosphere. You can certainly find some late night places, but I, I would think more your six, seven, eight p.m. Hey, John, thanks for your call. Thank you. Rick. Have fun on your trip. Thank you. And Yannet is calling from Pembroke Pines in Florida. Hi, Yannet. Hi, Rick. I'm planning the trip later this summer, and I wanted to know what would be the best place to see the Northern Lights. I know that in summer they're not going to be there, but maybe for a future trip. Okay, so is that a seasonal thing, uh, Kevin, about the Northern Lights? It tends to be seasonal, and it tends to be more of a fall-winter type of uh, experience, and there's a lot of tours And there's also a really great website online. If you just search Aurora Borealis Iceland, it will take Mm. you to an official site that tracks daily the sort of ranking for your chance of catching the northern lights. I heard that if you eat some of that rotten shark, you can see it any time of year. (laughs) That is likely true. (laughs) Is it a location-specific, or are you able to see it all throughout Iceland? Um, so it's always going to be spotty. It's never going to be all over Iceland all at the same time. You can see them sometimes in Reykjavik itself, uh, but your chances for uh, the best experience are to go someplace where it's darker and there's no city light pollution. So I've just driven out an hour out of town and just driven off the side of the road and waited at times and have seen them. You've been to Iceland every year for 10 years now or something. Uh, How have you noticed the infrastructure has changed over that period? There's more guardrails. The first time I went, I went to this amazing waterfall, and there were basically, (laughs) uh, you could walk right to the edge, and there was one of those universal signs with a a stick figure falling off a cliff with a circle and a line across it, right? That was the warning, yeah. Yeah. uh, Now there's, like, if you go to Gullfoss, that amazing waterfall, there's a beautiful ramp down to a platform so you can get really close, but you're not going to be exposed. Are there more like parking lots and information posts and so on because there's more tourism? There are, and it's very tastefully done. Uh, I think as they built the infrastructure, and it's all happened in the last decade or so, that's been something they've been very conscious of and trying to not spoil it with too much. And you're talking about the Golden Circle. Yes. And we have the one stop was the Great Waterfall. Yep. A couple more stops. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite places and a place I try to go every single time I go to Iceland is Thinglevir. And Thinglevir is a national park. It's on the Golden Circle. And it's where one of the first parliaments of mankind actually mm. assembled. Oh, I've seen dramatic, romantic paintings of that, I think. Yeah, it's, it's really remarkable. And it's where the uh, North American and the Eurasian plates are splitting, the continental drift. Uh, so there's actually a little bit of a canyon you can walk through where where the two plates are moving Is apart. that just coincidence that they met there? I, I don't know because I think there's a spirit. And there's a, a spirit there because, you know, people ask me, why don't you cover Iceland in my program until this year when we finally got our guidebook to Iceland out? And I was wondering, is it actually Europe? And from a geological point of view, it's half Europe and half America because the two tectonic plates come together there. Right there. And yep. half of Iceland is, from a geological point of view, in America and half in Europe. Maybe that's why the people assembled there too for uh, yeah to map out their democracy. Okay, so you got on this golden circle is the classic one day long yeah. day of sightseeing outside of Reykjavik for a sampling of the countryside charms. Yep, you got the waterfall, you got the spot where the historic uh, parliament met, and you've got geyser. 
which is uh, actually a couple geysers, and it's geyser is an Icelandic word that we've now all come to think about as what it is, right? That would be appropriate, that geyser would be an Icelandic yeah, word. I it's think, a land of geysers and, yeah. and geothermal heat. Yes, and I think gai means rush or to rush out of, perhaps. Uh-huh. So on that circle, those are the three main attractions. There's other little side ones, too. There's more waterfalls. <laughs> but your, your point was... Don't be one of these tourists that doesn't want to do the touristy things. In Iceland, even the touristy things are great, like the Golden Circle. Yes, and get out of Reykjavik. The Golden Circle is a one-day trip. It's easy and it's uh, remarkable. Janet, thanks so much for your call. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Kevin Cole. Kevin's a DJ at Seattle's KEXP Radio. He goes to Iceland every year to broadcast live from the Iceland Airwaves Music Festival. And Kevin joins us today to talk about traveling in Iceland. Kevin, let's just finish off talking about this festival. What's the scene during this festival that you go to every year? The festival is called Iceland Airwaves. It is in early November now, and it attracts five or 6,000 music lovers from around the world. So right there... That is kind of a filter where you have these people who are very curious and willing to travel halfway around the world. So there's a creative energy around that. There's usually about 200 bands. It's not a typical festival. So it's easy access? I mean, you don't, yes. you don't need to have a ticket long in advance. You don't need to be rich. You, you're going to see a lot of live music? Um, you don't need to be rich. It's reasonable, but you, it does sell out. I would buy a ticket a month in advance. Okay, and do that online through the yes. festival. It's a great way to just to have an unusual experience because you're going to see bands that you've never, ever heard of before that you'll probably never even be able to pronounce their names that you that will never, ever play in wherever, in Seattle. So you're going to have experiences that you're not going to have anywhere else. And a lot of this music, Kevin, would be actually Icelandic bands. Yes. There's about 250 bands who play Iceland Airwaves and probably 150 of them are Icelandic. God, that sounds like fun. It's amazing. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kevin Cole, for sharing uh, a unique angle. Rick, thank you so much. It's been a beautiful island. It's such a pleasure. All right. Happy travels, and maybe I'll see you at the festival. Great. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.